message. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, God, we just thank you for your power. God, I just thank you for, for your love, for your authority. God, I thank you that we're not alone. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that our greatest struggles, Lord God, are conquered by your awesome power. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you'd open up our hearts to hear, not from someone, but to hear from you, that you would challenge us, God, that you would encourage us, but God, would you transform our lives and let us live differently this morning after this service because we've heard from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. If you've been in this church for any length of time, then you know that this is our vision. This is from Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And this is, this is like our plumb line. This is what we feel God said, man, this is how we want you to live and this is how we want you to walk. And, and we really believe that that if you truly love God, then loving God leads to loving people. We believe this because this is exactly who God is. He loved the world that he sent his only son. So he sent his son to the world for the sake of people. And so if Jesus Christ really lives inside of me, then, then I'm going to love everything that he's about. And I'm going to love people. And if you really love people, it leads you to serve people. Right? Go back to when you were dating and some girl captured your eye or, or some guy captured your eye and, and if you thought, man, I'm in love, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, what can I do to get their attention? Well, you start doing things for them, right? You start showing them the love in practical ways, flowers and all kinds of things. And that's kind of the same with true with us. If you love people, if you love God's people, you begin to serve people. You begin to do things for people um, because, because you love them and you want to see them find, find Christ and and, uh, and, and serving people leads uh, people to know God. So serving leads to leading. Uh, years ago, when we came back this time, uh, about eight years ago, we had a car wash. Any of you guys remember the car wash we did? The free car wash? Nobody. All right. All right. A couple of us. All right. So we said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to have this free car wash, and, and we're just going to love on the community. Now, if you've gone to a car wash, right, this is what happens in car washes. You see somebody, the enthusiasm's not real high. Like the first hour, it's like, yeah, car wash, yeah, car wash. Like, the, you know, the next hour, it's like, car wash. It's over here. The third hour, the sign's on the ground. Somebody's in a chair, and they're just like pointing. Like, you read it yourself. It's a car wash here. But you know, how many times you, you, you drive by, you see a free car wash, right? You see a free car wash, right? And you pull in there, and are you really thinking that this is for free? No, no. We know it's not for free. We know there's some angle, right? So you pull in there, and you're like, all right, where's the donation bucket or whatever? There's some reason you're doing this. But we decided as a church, no, we're going to do literally just a free car wash. Like, no, we're not going to hand out material about the church. We're not, we're not, you know, donations, nothing. Just a free car wash. And we're going to have a free snack bar too, like free Coke, free brownies or whatever. And, and it was all for the adults. The deacons were all out there. And I want to tell you, the cool thing about this is the enthusiasm level lasted like all day long. I remember when it was time to go back, Dave Legay said, do we have to leave? Can we just stay here? And, and, and so, so we stood there and just held hands and sang and just worshiped God. It was so cool. But here's what's cool. When we were washing cars, people were coming in, and I'm not making this up, but their cars looked fantastic when they were leaving. Like, like I, I'm not trying to make something that wasn't there, but man, it, like, honestly, like, people driving, like, old rags, and they'd leave, like, looking like they came off the car lot. Like, they, they were shining. We had people come up to us. I'm not kidding and go, I've never seen my car look this good. 
And, and so I'm, I'm not joking. This is, they were saying this. And, and then they would try and pay us. They'd be like, okay, well, where's the donation bucket? And we're like, no, there is no donation. And they're like, what? It's free. And they, and they had a hard time processing it. And then they were like, well, how much for the snack? Like they, had, they had to give money for something. We're like, that's free too. And they were actually, some people were like, were just, they were dumbfounded. And some of them would leave, and they'd be blowing the horn, driving on the road, was waving, right? Like, they were so amazed. Like, this is, there was no angle. There was not, it was just free. And then, see, what happens was, when they, when they, when they get served, they start, and it's for free, they don't understand, it, and they start asking questions, like, why are you doing this? And this was our response, because Jesus loves you, and so do we. That's it. That's the only response. And what's interesting, some people couldn't receive that. There were some people that actually got frustrated because they had to pay for this. They were like, no, you, know, you don't understand. No, I've got to pay for this. We're like, sorry, we're not taking anything. Well, and then we told them, go to Father Bill's, give the money there or something. But we're not, we're not. And here's, here's, here's what happens. What happens is when you get something for free, like technically nothing's ever free. You have to file it somewhere, right, in your mind. Your mind's like this big filing cabinet. And you have to go, okay, so you did this because you're promoting the church. Okay, there I can file it in my little filing cabinet. That makes sense. That's why you did it. Or you're doing this because you're, you know, you're going on a, on a missions trip or Six Flags trip or whatever. But he, see, what happens is when you say, no, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you, a lot of people don't have a Jesus file, right? And they don't want that file to actually exist. And so they have a hard time filing it because if they file it there, then they have to have a file for Jesus. And they don't want that. So they just have to somehow, and they wrestle with it. But here's what's so cool is when you serve people, they ask questions, if we just go up to somebody and go, hey, listen, my name's Selwyn. I want you to know Jesus loves you. Lord, like, like, guards up. Like, well, who are you? What do you want? You know? But if you do something for someone and they go, why are you doing this? Well, it's because Jesus loves you. Really? And then and all of a sudden the walls are down. So we really believe that when you serve people out of a genuine heart, it leads people to asking questions. And when people ask questions, then they're open to hear the answers. And you don't just go in and and just basically, you know, tackle people and say, Jesus loves you. You don't know who I am, but you better accept him. Like, that makes no sense. So when you, when, you, when you really embrace this, loving God leads to loving people. And loving people leads to serving people. And if you serve people, they're going to ask questions. And when they do, guess what? You're going to be, you're going to be responding. Now you're having conversation. And then the Holy Spirit's going to move in that conversation. And he's going to have a part in that. And, and he's going to speak to them. And, and so often it leads to relationship, and then it leads to them finding who Christ is, having an experience with Christ, and their lives being transformed. And then they go, man, I've got to tell other people. And this whole process repeats. So we, we really are passionate about this. And this is why we're doing this series again, about not just talking about it. A vision, if it's just simply words and not lived out, it's nothing. This is the vision. This is where we're going. And so we believe that loving God leads to loving people, which leads to serving people, which leads to leading people. And so basically where we come out as a church is it's loving, it's serving, it's leading. And so over the last eight weeks, we've been, we, we've been doing a series on our vision. First four weeks was on loving, the second uh, four weeks were on serving, and then this morning we start on four weeks of leading. Um, when I ask, and I'm, this is more like a, me just talking to you this morning rather than preaching, all right? So, so when I ask you about leading or leadership, what do you think of? Say, I'm going to talk to you about leading. What comes to mind? I can hear some murmurs, but I can't hear. Teaching. Okay, teaching. So teaching would be someone in front with an audience, right? People learning, right? What else? Say again. Responsibility. All right, yeah, responsibility. Yes. Being a role model sacrifice, all right? 
yeah, these are things that we think about. Like we tend to think of people in, in, in certain positions or prominent positions. You can think of the president. You can think of mayors. You can think of CEOs. You can think of, hey, my boss. Um, you can think of, of, of all kinds of different, different um, people or different circumstances. If you are a leader and we say, hey, we're going to talk about leadership, those in leadership might start thinking about leadership strategy and, 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 and team building and team management and going beyond the product into building your team because your product is only really effective as your team. And, and, and some of you guys enjoy that. I enjoy that stuff. But, but some of you guys, so it's, it hits us all different ways. But I want to suggest to you this morning that all of us here are leaders. All of us here are leaders, and, and, and by definition, if someone is following you, then you're a leader, right? You may not want to. You may not have asked for this responsibility. Like Derek said, it means responsibility. You may go, no, I don't want this. It may be unintended, un- uh, un- intentional, unwanted, but by default, if someone is following you, then you are a leader, and I would suggest to you that all of you are leaders, all of you are leaders because all of you have someone following you. A few years ago, I had a friend, and uh, this friend struggled with smoking. And smoking can be a real struggle, and, and, and I get that. I know people struggle in, 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 in here with this, and I'm not picking on you. But it can be a real struggle. He tried to quit for, for uh, many years at different points, and, and finally one day he came in, and he just quit smoking. And I said, man, what happened? How how'd you quit? He said, well, when I came in and I saw my five-year-old son with a pen to his mouth pretending it was a cigarette. Like, that did it for me. It's interesting what happens, right, when you suddenly realize that there are people that are watching you. So many times we think that, hey, I'm alone in this. It's by me. It's just having this negative effect on me or whatever it may be. And it's a struggle and all of this, and it's real, and you don't want to. And, and, and I, again, I, I get that. But sometimes when you suddenly realize, wait a second, there are people following me. And then you go, wait a second, I never thought it would be my son. My, my dad was a chain smoker at four years old. Um, you guys are looking like I'm crazy. Ask him. My dad, at four years old, was a chain smoker. Um, my grandfather, uh, who was a judge, had a very stressful job. He smoked a lot. And back in the day, you know, when smoking first started, it was, it was healthy. People didn't know anything about it, and they thought it was all cool. And so my dad, at four years old, would sit next to his dad and just watch him. And he would sit there and just smoke at night. Remember those like, brass ashtrays that kind of had those lips that curved over? Well, my dad's fingers were small enough, right, that, that when, he, when, my, when my grandfather would put out a cigarette, there would be a little bit left of it, he would stick his fingers into the ashtray and, and get the little butts and put them in his pocket. Four years old, he would do this, right? If you get a whole pocket full, then he'd sneak into the pantry and he'd light up. He would light, at four years old, he would light up and he would be smoking the buds of my grandfather, right? Ask my dad, he will tell you, this is a true story. And my dad thinks the world of his dad. His father obviously passed away a long time ago. But guess what? Little eyes, little people, man, they, they worship the ground you walk on. And they really do. And uh, some of the most important people that you lead, even if you are a leader of people, a manager, won't necessarily be the teams that you manage or the people that you oversee. Um, so many times that they're your kids. Um, not just your kids, they're actually other people's kids as well. Um, just to make it a little bit more personal, uh, if, if I were to take the church van on a trip and you guys were with me, in that trip with church people, you're probably going to see kind of a calm Selwyn driving the church van in traffic, and you're probably going to think, man, this guy is just, 
you know, nothing bothers him in traffic. I just want you to know that that's all a lie, and it's not true. There's a mask that I wear because I am now accountable to the people in the car with me, right? Right? And don't look at me like you're shocked, all right? You do the same thing. Like, you're there, you're driving, and, and you know, you have people with you. But listen, if you were to get Selwyn by himself with Michael or Lori or, or my family, I'm a little more free, right? Have a little bit more freedom. I'm a little bit more vocal. Now, I'm not like screaming obscenities or anything like that or, or hand gestures. But, you know, you might see a little bit of stress, a little bit of tension. You might hear me vocalize a few things. And, and I don't think anything of it. You know, I'm just driving. And it's like, oh, come on. Do you have to go 15 miles an hour? It is 30 miles. And I, I may not even be in a hurry, but now I am because you're driving so slowly. You know, do you really have to veer out to turn into your driveway? And it's like, oh, you're killing me, right? Please agree with me, right? Don't look at me this way. You guys did it to me because I'm from the South. I didn't used to be this way, all right? In fact, when we drive back down to Georgia, I get to Virginia, and I have to pull over, and I have to exhale. And Lori goes, Keep, calm down. Just calm down. We're in a different part of the world again, right? And so, so it all seems fine. Danny, you don't think there's a problem. There's an issue until you're driving along, and all of a sudden you're in traffic, and your son rolls down the window and starts yelling at everybody. And you realize... Where did he get this from? (laughs) And then you can't look at anyone but yourself, right? And this happens to all of us. You think your language really isn't a problem until you hear your three-year-old repeat what you say. Then you suddenly go, oh, that doesn't sound so nice. When you're little, even stupid is a bad word. I can't tell you how many times I've been corrected by your children for saying stupid. That's a bad word. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? Listen, you're laughing because you know it's true. This is what happens to all of us. If you were a parent, you've had this experience. Uh, There are things now that I can look back in my life and go, man, I wish I'd done things differently. I wish I'd managed things differently. As a parent, I would redo that. You know, and this is how we learn. And it's important that we own those things. We don't have to defend them. We don't have to say justify them. In fact, it's wrong when we do because we're not perfect. We're going to have these mistakes and these things in our lives, and we have to own them and move forward. But what I'm talking to you this morning about is lifestyle leadership. It's a lifestyle of leadership that we have to, before we can think about leading other people, leading teams, leading in Sunday school, man, the first person that you have to lead is yourself. And I want to tell you, too, that that's one of the hardest people to lead. Leading yourself is far harder than leading anybody else. Here's why. Because I can point out somebody else's faults a whole lot easier than I want to point out my own. Right? When you lead, you're going to have to address certain things, which can be uncomfortable, but it also can be easy as a leader because it's your issue. It's not mine. So let me tell you about where you're wrong. Right? And, and you have to make judgment calls and things like that. But when you have to lead yourself, you have to also look at yourself internally. You have to look at the good and the bad. And you have to you look at it with sound judgment. And so you have to determine in your life what is good and what isn't good. And then you have to address what isn't good. That's uncomfortable because you have to look at yourself. And so because of that, many people don't do it. And so their leading exists for other people without leading themselves. And then what happens is the small things in their lives that could be dealt with when they're small grow and topple them. All right? So I'm talking to you about lifestyle leadership. Um, And as I've kind of talked to you about this already, I've kind of talked to you a little bit about about children and saying, look, you're all leaders, which is is true. My kids are looking up to you guys. They always have since they were four. 
um, and two in this church, they, they look up to you guys. They learn from you. You don't have to be a parent. Some of the greatest influencers in your family are not the parents, it's the aunts and then it's the uncles, right? Because aunts and uncles are a whole lot cooler than mom and dad, right? And so, so many things get justified by aunts and uncles. Uh, you don't even have to be a parent. If you're, just, if you're just around a family with kids, man, those kids adore you. They will, they will, they will run after you. They will, they're watching what you do. And so, uh, just, just when kids come into the picture, you're a leader by default because you're an adult. And if an adult's doing it, then, hey, it must be okay. And so, that's something we have to take seriously. But beyond the, the, the scope of just parenting... Um, let me back up and just say this. This is, this is true beyond just the, the easy things that I'm talking about, right? Here's, here's the sad truth. They don't just pick up my, 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 how I am in traffic. They pick up my coping mechanisms. They pick up my relationship skills. And so here's, here's what actually happens. Statistics actually tell us that if you are the child of an alcoholic, you're more likely to become an alcoholic when you get older, even if you determine in your heart that you don't like it. Um, this is true for smoking, it's true for addictions, it's true for, for drugs, it's true for anything. It's true of finances. Um, and, and so your, te- your, your kids tend to become you. They don't want to hear it, but they tend to become you. And, and so I've seen, as a youth pastor before, I've seen a lot of kids who come to youth and go, man, this is what I'm seeing in my home and I don't like it and I will never touch the stuff. And, and then later on in life, you see a man taking stances and you, and, and you go, man, this is, this is good, this is good. And then few years later, you see them with something in their hand, and then the story begins to repeat itself, and, and it's hard, because what happens is they begin to go, wait a second, this is how you cope with this. So many parents, um, so, many, yeah, so, many, so many kids that, that, that were abused when they were little can abuse others. We don't like it. Now, let me just back up and just say this real quick. Christ makes all the difference in the world. Like, he cancels that out. All right? But we're just talking about like normal life stuff. This is what happens because you tend to reproduce. So those seeds that you, they, 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 those people may say generational curses. You can look at them as generational curses because you kind of do passes onto your kids. But Christ conquers those things, right? But if you don't have Christ in your life, those things can repeat themselves in the lives of your children. And then it goes from generation to generation to generation. And so, unfortunately, we are all leading. You can be a reluctant leader. You can hate it. You don't even have to. It doesn't matter. You're leading because someone is following you. And so, we're all leaders. Um, And this goes beyond aunts, uncles, and parents. Um, This is true for Christians, all right? As a Christian, it's like you automatically become a leader because the minute somebody finds out that you are a Christian, they now start watching you, right? They're watching every action, everything that you do to see how you manage your life as a, as a Christian. And so as a Christian, the minute you, people find out you're a Christian, you start preaching. You start preaching. And it may not be a message with words. In fact, probably it won't be. Most sermons are, never, no, most sermons are, are not preached with a single word, but they're preached with a lifestyle of how you live. You are preaching every time you get into your community at work. This is, this is what we talked last week. If you weren't here, ladies, if you weren't here last week because of the women's retreat, I want to encourage you to listen to the sermon online. We talked about basically serving in your workplace and how it can be conflicted, right? How do you serve God and also um, sometimes do the things that your bosses or your company requires and it seems to be a conflict? Where do you come out in that? 
how do you, because sometimes you want to compartmentalize and say, well, this is my Christian life, this is my work life, and, and because I need to work and have a job or whatever, then this is, you know, what I need to do. And so there's a, it becomes a conflict, it becomes a tension. How do you move in that? So if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to, to get that uh, or just listen to it online. So as, 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 as a Christian, you automatically start preaching by the way that you live. Uh, again, Christian Kane Kane says this, and I love it. She says, far more is caught than taught. It's not what you say. It's what you do. It's how you live. And, uh, and Paul got this. The Apostle Paul got this. He actually, he actually said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He said this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I, might, I myself might be disqualified. Let me kind of break that down into selenology if you want. But I discipline my body like an athlete. He says, man, this is, like, this is like no different than running a race. It's no different than saying, hey, this is the goal. This is the target. And so I discipline my body when I know what I'm trying to achieve, when I'm running towards a certain goal. I have to discipline my body, training it to do what it should, meaning not what it wants. There's a difference between what it should do and what it wants to do. If you've ever trained for anything, you can get up in the morning and go, yeah, I don't think I want to get out of bed. I don't think I want to go run in the rain. I don't think I want to go and train here. But the difference between getting it done and not doing it is knowing that, man, no, I need to. And with my eyes on the target, then that's what I should go for. So this is saying, hey, I'm training my body to do what it should, not what it wants to. There's a big difference in that because left alone to our own devices, if you just follow what you want to do, your life will look like craziness, all right? So he says, man, I'm training my body to do what it, what it should. Otherwise, if I don't do this, he says, I, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He's saying that I, I, I'm afraid if I don't train myself and make myself do these things after preaching and telling other people what they should be doing, I will be disqualified because I'm not doing it myself. He says, this is a fear of mine. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid of looking like a hypocrite. And so I know in order not to, it takes work. It doesn't come naturally. I have to train. I have to focus. I have to be intentional about it and move forward. And so I want to say to you, man, listen, this is true of you as well. You have to train yourself to be the person that you want to be so you do not disqualify yourself after preaching, even non-verbally to other people, right? So, so, so Paul gets this. Paul understood that to be all that God called him to be, that he needed to, to consistency in his life and a consistency of order. Andy Stanley in his book, The Next Generation Leader, says this, we are always one decision, one word, one reaction away from damaging what has taken years to develop. Let me read that again, all right? We are always only one decision only one word, only one reaction from damaging what has taken years to develop. Now, he's talking to leaders. He's talking to people with platforms. He's talking to ministers. But this is true for ministers, and it's true of you guys. For instance, I've been here now 15 years total, but eight years in this position. And, and I have to work hard at trying to, to, to live the way God wants me to and be the pastor that God wants me to be. But I want you to say, okay, you come up to me. Ray comes up to me. Hey, someone, can I speak to you? And I go, oh, and I walk away. He's going to go, man, that guy's so like Jesus. I love it. No, right? I didn't say a word. 
right? But that was my reaction, right? And at that point, I am one reaction away from ruining. It doesn't matter what you did, 8 years, 10 years, 30 years. It doesn't matter what you did. You can ruin it in one reaction because you didn't have enough self-control to contain yourself, right? And we see this happen, right? It doesn't matter if I make one bad decision, one bad decision. It can ruin what I've worked hard for and what God is trying to do here. And this is true of you guys too. Think about it. Even in work, when you're sitting at work and you just go, man, here, here's this dilemma that I'm in. It's a real dilemma. And, and this is kind of what they're expecting me to do. And ethically, I don't know if I can do that because this is what God says. And man, what do I do? And, and, and you wish it was just you alone and you could just say, man, this is, well, this is just work and God will understand and I've got to, but this is my Christian life. And, and maybe you don't realize, but there are other people watching you going, okay, what are they going to do? You are one decision one reaction away from either leading someone to Christ or away from Christ based on what you do. You may not have asked for that, but it's what's on you, and it's on, on me. So this is serious stuff. We, we, have to, we have to look that self-leadership is important. What we do has to be in the forefront of our minds. You guys have seen this happen all the time on TV, right? How many times have you heard about a pastor that falls, right? And, and unfortunately, it's just the way, the way it happens. What typically happens is, is when pastors fall or when anybody falls is that it boils down to lack of integrity, all right? It boils down to lack of integrity. Integrity is basically, in a simple definition, is being the same on the inside as what you claim to be on the outside. It's the claim of being the same inside as what you'd be on the outside. And so when pastors fall, what typically happens is all of a sudden something surfaces, an action, a decision, or something they made that actually says, wait a second, what they say on the outside is not true of what's on the inside. And then this is what happens. So I want to ask you real quick, what, what is this? It's an orange. Now, how, how do you really know it's an orange? Well, how do you know? Okay, it looks like one. All right, how many of you guys ever bought oranges at the store? All right, just a, you guys don't eat oranges? All right, whatever. You guys bought fruit, right? All right, so if you're going to go and, and you're going to go to the store and you're going you're gonna to put your hard-earned money into buying an orange, you're going to trust that this is really an orange without testing it out. Yes, you are, right? Right? But you know what makes us an orange is not the peel. What actually makes us an orange is really what? What's on the inside, right? This is not rocket science, right? Now, have you ever been disappointed by an orange? You have been? Golly, like first service said the same thing. You're not supposed to say that. All right, okay. Okay, this is what I mean. All right, all right. And by disappointed, you mean what? What do you mean? It was rotten on the inside, all right? What else? It wasn't sweet enough. All right, all right. So let me, for clarity's sake, have you ever bought an orange and opened it up and found it was an apple? No. No. Or a watermelon, like, and going back to the store, but like, you ripped me off. <laughs> this is clearly not an orange, right? So you may be disappointed because it's not sweet, but what you opened was still an orange, right? Okay. Oranges tend to have integrity. What makes us an orange is not the outside. What makes us an orange is what is on the inside, right? We're clear on this. We agree. All right. And the only way to find out what's on the inside is to do what? All right, so I'm going to open this up. I know you guys are just sitting here waiting 
to see what this really is? How many of you guys think it's an orange? How many of you guys think I'm up to something? All right, so we're going to open this up, and we're just going to see what this actually is. Drum roll, please. It's a grapefruit. Somebody first serve says, it's a circle. And I go, man, you're going to be disappointed in life. All right, so you open it up, and what is it? You sure you want to taste it? Want to make sure? I wouldn't do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Is it orange? You can have it. It's a gift. All right. All right, so we weren't disappointed once again. And here's the thing. Oranges have integrity. Oranges have natural integrity, right? I have never been disappointed by an orange. All right, so let me ask you another question. Now, now inside an orange, there are certain things, right, that you plant. There's seeds, right? Now, if I were to take a seed of an apple and I would insert it into an orange and leave it there for a year, and then I plant that seed, what does it grow? You sure? It's been an orange, right? So, so we know that, that, that a seed is kind of the heart of something, right? I mean, it really is. The seed is the heart, and no matter what the outside looks like, only what's inside will repeat and, and reproduce itself. And so it's safe to say that you will take those seeds, if you were to plant them, they're going to they're turn into oranges, because really what's important is what's on the inside. Here's the difference. This is why oranges have an advantage against you and against me. Oranges naturally have integrity. People don't. Oranges naturally, by default, have integrity, and people do not. This is why Paul says, I have to train myself to be what I want to be, so I don't leave myself up to my own devices. I have to work at being something. I have to die to what? Who I naturally am. I am crucified with Christ right? That implies work. That implies having to strive for something. That's not an easy thing. Is that orange good? He's just chewing it down. Okay. Yeah, hold on. Let me get you, let me get you a bowl. Make it easy for you and a knife. Make it, I'm going to make a mess. All right. So, so oranges have integrity. People don't naturally have integrity. In fact, people are good at looking at being something on the outside while not being the same on the inside. There's stuff going around. I was recently at a conference. Renny and I were at a conference, and one of the speakers was up there, and she used some language that she shouldn't. And a young pastor said, no, I kind of liked it. It was real. And, uh, and there's this stuff about, I want to be real. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real. And I want to be real in church or whatever. And, and so here's my situation with it. We want to be real because we don't want to be fake. There's nothing wrong with that, right? right? But I know a God who says, hey, listen, we have to exercise self-control, Right? And so the problem is saying, I want to be real the whole time and using it as a, as a justification, excuse to live however you want to or whatever. I, I started a young pastor about it afterwards, and he said, man, he said, I won't give you the illustration he used in case you guys don't appreciate it. But he just basically said, I'll say in so many words, he said, look, realness sometimes is I'm frustrated with somebody, I just want to punch them, right? Now, can I just go, man, ah, oh, Rich, ah. Oh. Sorry, man, I'm just keeping it real. I just want to be, I know I'm a pastor, but I want you to appreciate the realness of who I am. Are you going to say, you know what, <sighs> thank God for you, man, because that's like, you know, I feel that way too sometimes. Or are you going to go, yeah, dude, like, use some self-control. <laughs> like, you're probably going to hit me back, right? Then we'll both be real, right? So you've got to take this whole real thing. You've got to be real, and you've got to be transparent, and that's good. But man, there is self-control, and it's important. 
It's a fruit of the Spirit. That means you can't just do. The example this guy gave me is, man, he was a young guy. He's not married. He goes, man, if I see a girl and I just want to, do I just say, I'm him, keeping it real? No. It's, it's absurd, isn't it? Right? So we've got to be careful about what we say and how we do it, just keeping it, keeping it real, right? Because we are supposed to use self-control. Because if we keep it real in our lives, it's going to lead us to a path we don't need to be. We have to exercise self-control. We have to decide who we want to be. And then we have to work hard to get there. It doesn't come naturally. And that's called leading oneself. If you do not lead yourself, you will become what you don't want to be. And you will just end up existing in something. And so this is why leading yourself is not easy, because it requires work and it's painful. It means you have to look internally and make judgment calls against who? This guy. To say this is good and this is bad. And so we, are, we have to lead ourselves before we can lead anybody else. It's only what's on the inside that matters. So I want to ask you a quick question real quick. If you are that orange right now and someone were to do what I just did to you, not Ray, Ray just ate you completely, all right? So it was it good? It was like, that's great. Bring breakfast next time. Same time next week. All right. So if, if you were to just take like a knife, right, and, and you would peel open that outer peel of who you are, what integrity do you have? Does it look the same on the inside as it does the outside? It's a good question to ask yourself. And the other thing you need to ask yourself too is sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes God puts us, like if I was an orange, that looks painful, right? Doesn't it? Like a knife cut me open, rip open the thing, and you go, man, ow. But once I did it, I saw what's on the inside. Do you know that sometimes you may be put put in painful situations because other people need to see your integrity, and the only way they can see who you are is when a layer comes off of you, and in that pain and in that process of struggle or whatever, who you're going to be in the struggle is who you are. And maybe that's going to be more of a witness than seeing you go through nothing. And so you may be in this tough situation at work, and God's saying, man, if you will just handle this right, if you will just be inte- have integrity for me, I-, I, will- I will do something through this circumstance and through this situation that you can't dream of. I will lead people to know me if you will only have integrity, if you will only stand true to what I'm saying. And it may be painful, and the outer layer may be peeled off, but other people will be watching, and as soon as it gets peeled off, they go, man, it is an orange. It is a Christian. It is true. It's not just talk and everything else I've seen in other people's lives that, 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 that give me an excuse to live the way I want to and not be a Christian doesn't stand because of what this person has done and how they have lived and how they've reacted in the pain, in the hurt, in the struggle. Because it's easy to be a Christian when no one takes a knife to you and wants to peel it off the open to see what's inside, isn't it? So easy to say. So hard to do. Because the struggle's real. And I'm not exempt from it. None of us are. But before we can lead anybody, if we're not leading here, it doesn't work. What typically happens is this, is that when you have failures in life and pastors, what happens is this, is that it's an integrity issue, meaning that what is presented on the outside isn't true what's on the inside. And this is what happens. What happens is we get too full of pride, and we begin to look at ourselves, and we don't want people to think we have weaknesses. And then because we don't want people to think we have weaknesses, I'm not, I'm not, I can't be upfront and honest and transparent with people. I have to now hide my weaknesses, and I take those seeds of small weaknesses and struggles and sins, 
and I bury them far away where no one can see them, and I keep them in dark places. And what happens to seeds when you bury them? You keep them in dark places, they grow. And so what happens is things that could be conquered when they're little, if brought into the light and recognized and acknowledged, don't, and they get pushed away. And when you push them away, you put them back there, and they begin to grow because you don't want to deal with them, and you just hope that somehow they'll go away, and they begin to grow. And what happens when these pastors fall is that it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until it becomes who they are. And the only thing that's, that's left is this veil of oh, this very thin outer layer that's not really true anymore. Why? Because pride got in the way. They were too proud to be vulnerable. They were too proud to say, man, hey, this is who I am. This is where I'm struggling. So here's the thing. You all have sin in your life, as does this guy up here. Why? The Bible tells us if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This means that we all have sin. Paul said the same thing. He said, man, the things that I don't want to do, I do what I do. Don't, I do want to do what I don't do. And, and, and he goes, man, who's going to save me from this life? And he said, thanks be to God. He said, he said that he had a thorn in his flesh, meaning that there was something that he was struggling with, that he prayed three times to God for, for him to take it from him, and God never took it from him. You ever wonder why? God didn't take that from him? I personally think maybe he would have been an arrogant man, right? Man, think about it. If you had no struggles in your life, you'd probably be a nightmare. If I had no struggles in my life, I could sit up here and be like, you people, (laughs) right? Right? You better thank God for the struggles in my life. Because now, before I preach, I have to look at myself. Before any sermons come to you, they come to me first, and they hit me first. And it brings in humility where you go, man, God, am I even the person to be up there talking about this? And when that does it, see, when you begin to look at yourself, and you begin to examine yourself, and you don't defend and justify what you see, that's real, all right? Real or, or, or serving God doesn't mean you have no problems, all right? I think everybody's worried about, about looking like a hypocrite. So if I admit I have problems, then, then I'll look like, I, like I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite only if you think you don't have problems. All right? And recognizing that you have sinned and struggled in your life does not make you a hypocrite. But thinking you don't does. Acting as if you don't does. Taking a platform as if you don't does. All right? And so we have to, when, when, when we recognize the fact that we have sin and issues in our life, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge them. Acknowledge them to ourselves first. That's the first step. After that, we bring them before God because he wants our junk. And we take them before him. And when we take them before him, he fights them with us. And some things he may take away overnight, and some things may be a lifelong battle for you. And then you've got Paul who said he never took it from him. Here's what I know, though. I know that if, as long as you are engaged in recognizing that this is something that does not belong in your life, as long as that is there, you're not okay with it. And if you're not okay with it, that means there's now a battle that exists in your life that says, man, I don't want this here. And as as long as you don't want it here, you start fighting against it, and God helps you fight. And maybe you don't ever conquer it completely, but because you fight it, it keeps it small, right? It keeps it contained. I'm not justifying sin. Understand what I'm saying. But because you, Paul never said, well, God never took the phone from me, so I'm okay with it. It's okay. It says, well, that's not what he said. He still didn't like it. He still, he, still, he still fought it. And God does conquer things, sometimes in time, sometimes overnight. But even if you're just fighting it and fighting it, it's going to keep it small. It's going to keep it in the light. It's not going to begin to be able to grow and consume you. But you have to acknowledge it first to yourself, secondly to him. And then can I tell you else, if it's safe and appropriate to your kids, because your kids know you better than anybody. 
So your kids know you better than anybody. I can pretend to be something up here. Then I get home, my kids will be like, yeah, I know who you are, right? And so if I go, hey, listen, this is, I messed up. I don't know why people have such a hard time saying that. Man, I owe my kids apologies all the time. You know, to be able to say, man, hey, I messed up. Hey, dad was wrong when he did this. If I could change it again, I would. Just know it's something that I'm struggling with, and, and, and I'm sorry I did that. Guess what happens in that moment when you do that? You keep it real is what you do. When you, when you do that, you say, hey, listen, this is where I am, and it's not okay. And dad was wrong, or mom was wrong, and I want you to know that I'm working on it. All of a sudden, your kid goes, man, it's okay to have failures and to mess up. It's okay to own them. It's okay to ask somebody and admit them to somebody else. And you are teaching them and you are training them and you are leading them how to live and then they'll be able to own them too. Uh, Again, when appropriate. Also, admit them to other people in accountability issues. There are some people you don't need to tell anything to, all right? It's bottom line. Because they, they will go and tell everybody, they'll use it like a weapon against you. But there are people around you that you should be able to go to and say, hey, here's a situation, and, and, and it's a struggle. I've been praying with it, and it just keeps kind of, you know, attacking me. And, and man, uh, and, and I have people that do that with me. And, 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 it's, and it's good, because you go, man, okay, just keep, keep, keep praying and, and, and keep fighting and, and, and keep moving forward. And if you will live a life like that, you will begin to lead yourself the things in yourself, the sin in you won't grow. It will be contained. It will be conquered because you have victory in Christ. I know I've got to wrap this up. What you have to do is this. You need to decide who you want to be. I remember when I got to the army, I had to do this. I sit there and go, okay. And I actually asked, who am I going to be? Am I going to be real? Am I going to be this Christian? Or am I going to be a guy who just says, hey, I can play the game? And I decided who I wanted to be, and then it, then it took a lot of work, and it took a lot of pain, and then it took a lot of persecution, and then it took a lot of stuff like that where it kind of peeled the, the, the layers back, and, and, and it wasn't easy. But you have to decide who you want to be, and then you need to align yourself with that, and then you need to train yourself to do what you should, not necessarily what you want. And in doing so, you will demonstrate, just as your kids can catch bad habits, man, your kids can catch good habits. And you can reproduce. This is why the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. It means they are absorbing. They are sponges, taking it all in. Jesus said this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Simply meaning, if you try to be, man, this is who I am. And, and, and man, listen, you've been crucified with Christ. Let it go. And try and be more like him. Self-leadership. People who are self-leaders die to the natural tendencies inside of them so that they, begin, so that they can become who God intends them to be. God is calling you and God is calling me to be an inside-out kind of leader. Leaders who are more defined about what's on the inside of us than what's on the exterior. People who practice this kind of leadership are keenly aware of who they really, really are. It's dangerous to be under a leader who thinks they have no weaknesses. It's dangerous to be under a leader who thinks they can do it all. True leaders can, can honestly be comfortable saying, hey, I'm weak in this area. And if they're comfortable being weak in the area, they're comfortable commending someone because they're strong in that area. That's true leadership. 
Romans 12.3 says this, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. We need to examine ourselves to see who we really, really are. And finally, let me close with this. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And would our prayer team come forward? We have been given awesome responsibility. We have been given amazing opportunity. Each one of you are leaders. You are leading people. You are leading your children. You are leading my children. You as a Christian are leading people that you work with. This is not an easy thing. You may not have asked for it, but it's who you are. But people's lives will be different by the way that you live yours. It takes intentionality. You have to be serious about it. You have to focus on it. But the Holy Spirit will help you. Don't give in to self. Don't give in to just your internal wants and your desires. Otherwise, you'll be blown, as the Bible says, left and right with the wind and with the waves, and you'll be going everywhere. But God has called you. God has positioned you. We're going to be talking about leadership for the next four weeks. But the primary thing, before you can lead anybody else, you have to be leading this guy. You have to be leading yourself. Would you bow your heads? I just wanted you to ask yourself, if God would appeal out, open the outer layer of who you are, what is inside? What is inside? Do you like what you see? Is it who you want to be? You were made for more. You were defined by him. You begin a mission and a purpose for him and by him. If you don't like what you see inside, you don't have to stay there. And better yet, you don't even have to have the strength to get yourself out of it. All you have to do is ask him. Who do you want to be? Right now, and you think, who do you want to be at work? Who do you want to be as a parent? Who do you want to be to your children? Who do you want to be in this church? Who do you want to be in your life? Who is that person? That becomes your goal. You give it to God. You say, God, help me get there. Because I want to represent you first and foremost with my kids. Man, if I win a thousand people to Christ and lose my kids, man, I have failed. Who do you want to be? Because he wants to help you get there. And he will help you get there. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. You cannot do it by yourself. But he has a smile on his face with his hands stretched out and said, let's go. Let's go. Let's run this race. Next week, we're going to talk about from the couch to the 5K. How do you get there? But let's start this week with leading yourself. Amen? Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that we have the victory in this, God. God, I can look at my life and I can be disappointed right now, but I know because of your love and your grace and your forgiveness, that I can bring my failures to you. God, I can bring what's supposed to be an orange that's not. I can bring it to you, God, and you will forgive me for it and you will set me free. And God, you will take me by the hand and you will lead me to the place that you want me to be. 
God, I just pray, Father, that you would strengthen me, Lord God. God, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would keep me focused on, on who it is that you want me to be, that that would become my goal and my target. And God, every morning in my struggles, God, that you would strengthen me, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me, that I might be real in front of my children, that I might be real in, in front of my coworkers, God, that, that in those difficult times that I may encounter at work or at home, God, the times when that layer is peeled off and the internal is exposed, God, let me be true. God, let me be real. Let them see you in that moment, Lord Jesus, and give me the power to push through. I give my life to you, Lord God. Help me lead first myself and help me lead many to you. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, I want to encourage you. Come get prayer. If you're sick, if you're hurting, we want to pray with you. We love you. Have a great week and go and lead yourself. Amen. Amen.